previously on Little Bit Leave It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Little Bit Leave It, the podcast where we talk Love Island, UK in the USA. My name is Ben, and with me today, it is my podcasting partner and partner in life, Becca. What's up, everybody? We are recording this at Sandwich O'Clock. I am hungry as usual. Let's uh, let's do a great show. And let's talk to somebody who's got a sandwich. That's right. He's back. Our special guest co-host. He's going to help us out throughout today's show. It's Logan. Hello, listeners. I am delightfully holding a chicken pesto panini. I highly recommend that you grab one for yourself because this is going to be an adventure. Eat up. If you haven't listened to season six, you've missed two of Logan's greatest achievements in his whole life, our mid-season CASA episode and our season six finale. You know, never mind all the other great things he's accomplished. His work on this show clearly stands out in the top 35 things he has ever done. No argument from me. And today we are going to be talking about season seven of Love Island UK. We are going to go into a little bit of depth in the finale, but... We're going to start with a kind of an overview over the whole season. We're going to do our end of season superlatives. And uh, of course, we're going to do the always popular, always in demand. Neither by me. No, by the listeners. The Brexit segment. Good Lord. In case you didn't hear it for season six, that's where we predict how all of the Islanders would have voted on the 2016 Brexit referendum. If they were even old enough to vote. Which uh, this year, I think maybe it's about 50-50. I had to look up a bunch of different, not countries, but sections. I'm like, Northern Ireland, how do they fall politically? Yeah, no, I, I know you guys did some real research on it. Beck in particular, you did a really fantastic job this year. Logan, you were a pretty big disappointment. Yeah, I, I got to focus more on school. You know, it's just this post-COVID. I'm sorry, we're still in the pandemic. This COVID brain, it's just not uh, it's not performing like like it used to. Title of your sex tape, by the way. Logan is finishing law school, but we won't hold that against him. So season seven, should we talk about it? Yeah, you wrote a whole think piece and I interjected dirty jokes throughout. Yeah, our Patreon supporters know that I wrote a whole essay about season seven. I posted it right after season seven wrapped up. And today, here's a little bit of a modified version of that with, like Beck said, some some of her thoughts and hopefully some of Logan's thoughts also sprinkled through it. So season seven, overall, it may not go down as a classic season on the level of seasons three or five, but with some distance, I think we will look back on it as just a notch below those two. I know that may seem a little weird to say right now, and we may not have had a John Clark in this group. But we did have some really memorable cast members, some unforgettable moments, a strong run of about five weeks also, beginning in roughly the third week of the season. But ultimately, I think this season of Love Island UK delivered something that no previous season had ever done. So this season combined arguably the best hero's journey plot that we've had since season one, and it's possibly the best hero's journey ever. Uh, with an on-again, off-again romance that really rivals Kem and Amber in season three. And of course, I'm talking about Faye and Teddy. The producers were able to combine both of these plots really into one character's arc. So season seven, that's the season of Faye. It's no secret 
the first dozen or so episodes of this season are super slow. It's probably the slowest start that the show has ever had. It's hard to remember. The only season that really took this long to heat up was season two. And even that had Malin taking Terry from her quote unquote best mate, Olivia, in the show's second week. So this season, well, it started off badly. Some might even say the first few episodes are close to unwatchable. I don't know if I'd go that far, but given the rest of the season, is there really even any reason to go back and rewatch those first few episodes? This season overall was painful to get into and not nearly as easy to stay hooked into. You know, we've watched the entirety of Love Island UK since spring 2020 and never have I ever had to force myself to keep going. So oversaturation, maybe it's a lot of Love Island in really not that much time. Was it the awful pain in the ass that it was using the VPN to get into ITV Hub and watch the commercials and deal with the loading and the buffering? Probably a factor. Was it the most boring starting cast since ever? Yes, it was that. It's kind of funny to think in hindsight, because I remember watching season six that it all felt kind of wholesome off the jump um, and stayed a little bit wholesome. But this season was lustful, right? I think Kaz's opening introduction was her talking about wanting to be railed. And they definitely emphasized the sex from the jump. So I expected like, you know, people were going to be cuffing up and clapping cheeks and it was going to be all that right away. And yeah, I feel like the first, you guys are right. It does start pretty slow. You have Scottish Shannon, who doesn't even really seem like she knows what Love Island is or why she's on the show. You have other Shannon who is just, I don't know, like seems unhappy to be around. We'll forgive you for calling Sharon other Shannon. Oh, is that that her name? See, that's forgettable. That's what I mean. I didn't understand a word Brad said. Good God. Sir Brad of Mumbleshire. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys are right. It it did start quite a bit slow. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to say about the lustfulness and how much of that is due to everybody being inside for so long and so much more limited social interactions. And the producers knowing they have a really boring, shitty cast and playing up those bits in the interviews to make us think we're going to have a good time. Right. Like the whole pre-show controversy, if I remember, was about a comment that Chloe makes in her interview where she says something about texting a married man when she's drunk. It was later revealed to be a throwaway line that had nothing to do with anything she had ever done. But prior to that, people were saying, oh, she's a homewrecker. She's crazy. And certainly the editing made it look like that about all this COVID stuff. It makes sense that the cast did not gel like other years. We've all forgotten how to human. Yeah. And also, I think COVID restrictions probably played into it. So I don't have any special behind the scenes information about the show. I don't know anybody who works for ITV. So what I'm about to say is speculative. It's based on information that supposed insiders, people who have worked on the show or been on the show, have leaked or posted on Reddit about, or just talked about in interviews about the casting process. 
what I have kind of come to understand is that obviously the Islanders have all met before the first episode many times. So they've met each other during press events, media training, other events that take place before the show starts filming. If you watch some of the interviews on YouTube with the Islanders after they leave the villa, they'll answer questions about those events. Wait, Ben. So they all have met each other before the first episode and Brad still didn't know anyone's name by the time he had to pick someone. And he just says, I'll take the bird in the blue swimsuit. Yeah. So they meet, but they don't necessarily know in a typical season what their role on the show is going to be. I think Brad is actually one of the people who said this, that this year they got to meet some, but not all of the original cast members during the press events, that it all felt very rushed and they didn't really have much time to really socialize or get to know them, but they did meet them. But typically... And also it's Brad. Yeah, also it's Brad. Brad. But typically what happens is there's some type of a party that the producers organize, that ITV organizes and it takes place the entire cast comes it's the originals the bombshells the casa amor people it's alternates who never make it onto the show and they all meet each other and socialize while they are being watched by the producers so like i said cast members at this event they don't know whether they're being considered for original or bombshell or casa amor not all the decisions are totally final and the producers use this event basically to confirm the casting choices, make last minute changes about when people might enter if they need to do that. Yeah. And don't forget too, like even aside from that, birds of a feather tend to flock together, right? Like Hugo and Chugs knew each other from school. People in previous seasons knew each other from Ibiza and the club scene. Kem was season three, Chloe's best friend's ex and so on. So the people who try out for the show tend to know other people who need this kind of recognition and dubious fame it makes sense that they couldn't do this event obviously because of covid restrictions so they had a lot less information to work from so the casting producers had a lot harder job predicting how the islanders would interact once they got in the villa Uh, so unfortunately like we've been saying it really led to a dud of an original cast Uh, only one couple emerged from the first 11 Islanders, and I'm not counting Toby and Chloe, just because they don't get together until the end of the second week, and they only become solid post-Casa Amor. So it's really Jake and Liberty are the only couple that really immediately comes out of the first cast. You know, the problems with the cast, look, they were apparent to everyone, right? The guys in particular really were lacking some star quality, said Brad's accent, right? His accent was unfortunately as thick as his personality was dull. You could have just said his accent was as thick as his skull, but maybe that's mean. Yeah, I actually am not sure if he's dumb. It's a real shame. You know, the guy that we see in the post-show interviews is really funny and relaxed. And the Brad we got on the show was uh, really boring and nervous. Faye. 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 Yeah, I know. I I still I love that scene. He also got the full Johnny treatment on the way out the door. The full Johnny, of course, is is the villain being redeemed before he leaves through an act of self-sacrifice. So we did that for Brad. I mean, what do you expect from a guy who's never been to a restaurant? Is that classist? All right. Maybe that's classist, but like not even a Nando's. All I can remember from that was Jake crying real tears over Brad leaving. 
And I was like, Jake, you need to, you got to figure out your emotions champ. Cause this, this doesn't really make sense. Like he was weeping over this man. You know, I think we should keep that in mind for a discussion we're going to have later about Jake and Liberty. Apart from Brad, right? Toby, I'll tell you, I love Toby by the end, but at the beginning, he's a huge problem on the show. I mean, here's a guy who's got multiple suitors and no emotional intelligence. So he is essentially the model for the perfect Islander, but unfortunately he could not string two sentences together. Obviously, we all came around on him. The show came full circle when they called back to him not being able to make a toast in the first episode. The absolute easiest part to make a toast. And he gets to make the final toast of the series right before the declarations of love. He knocks it out of the park. The good thing about Toby early on in the season is anytime he had a line or he was in the little confessional booth, it was edge of my seat because I really didn't know if I was going to be able to understand anything that he said. If it was going to be just absolutely like the most destructive comment he could possibly make, or if he might surprise me by just being base level competent. Toby early on, it was real. Uh, I don't know the word for it, but it just chaotic. He was chaos. You know, like those uh, alignment charts, like Dungeons and Dragons. He was definitely in the chaotic row and would just toggle between chaotic good and chaotic evil. Yeah. That sounds about right. I mean, look, his his growth arc and his goofy antics totally won us over by the end of the season. But yeah, in the early days, he was, I don't know, for me, a little bit intolerable. Completely intolerable. But not just because of his absurd outlook on relationships and his complete inability to take any responsibility or accept any consequences for his actions. Have we ever had a leading Islander with such little screen presence? Outside of this cast? No. I mean, I'd argue while the initial chemistry between the original Islanders certainly meant the show would stumble out of the gate, it was probably Brad's and Toby's inability to step up and carry a plot arc that really made the show boring for the first couple of weeks. I mean, the rest of the guys were great supporting characters. You know, Jake is this year's chavier edition of the everyday bloke who's good looking, but not too good looking. He's the geezer. Yeah, and he's set up to be half of the couple that captures the hearts of Britain. And uh, we had a really great twist on that theme this year, obviously. Uh, we also had Aaron, who is the smooth-talking ladies' man, who plays it cool, and uh, he knows more about relationships than he lets on. That person has been portrayed in different ways by Dan in Season 2, Marcel in Season 3, Original Charlie in Season 4, and obviously OV in five and Kana with a G in six. Aaron sucked also, though. He was so sexist and demeaning towards Sharon. Like, he lost my support really quickly, too. Oh, I can't even remember him being that way, honestly. I, the artist formerly known as Shannon, who I now know as Sharon, in fact, I just remember her being so, so boring that I, I don't even think it registered with me that Aaron was mean to her. Well, it was behind her back. She was saying, like, I don't want to give up my career. I, you know, work hard and I want lots of things. And he's like, and he said to the guys, like, oh, she's just afraid to let somebody else be the breadwinner. Like, she's afraid to stay home and raise babies. No, bitch has hustle and let her be who she is, even if I don't necessarily like her or want the same things as her. I can't knock it. Word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get that green Lambo, girl. Yes, completely. To the government administrator. Yes. Okay. 
I follow. Yeah, and my third degree LinkedIn connection. <laughs> sexy oh, <wow>. goldfish. <laughs> if Paige was sexy Miss Piggy, Sharon was sexy goldfish. Yeah, no, original Aaron, definitely there was a streak of misogyny there. Not going to uh, deny that. But, you know, misogyny is also a time-honored Love Island tradition. Great for Britain and therefore the world. So, of course, there's also Hugo. We haven't talked about Hugo yet. So he evokes Dr. Alex, but not in the way that most people think, in my opinion. The only people who explicitly friend-zoned Hugo were Chloe and Faye who, of course, were the only two original girls he actually liked. Probably the only two girls on the show that he really wanted to be in a relationship with. So, sorry, Hugo. But uh, while the women of season four certainly neutered Dr. Alex, and the women of season six, I think, attempted to do that to Nas, I don't see any effort to desexualize Hugo, except by the fan base. Didn't Chloe talk shit about him in the very beginning? Yeah, I think Chloe and Faye definitely were treating him like, oh, here's a guy I would never, ever go for because of his looks. But that's okay. But that's even one thing. The, uh, the part that would really upset me it was like, you shouldn't go for him either is that part of the conversation. And Chloe definitely did that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, she did. She did say something along those lines. But I think, yeah, she's the only one. I don't think that ever really happened it didn't pick up it didn't take off yeah but he's like dr alex because hugo turned out to be extremely self-centered and self-absorbed i mean with a slew of beautiful women to choose from he chose none and you know they kept bringing in women one is hotter than the next and he finishes the show coupled up with this gorgeous and sexy circus performer i mean what the hell was hugo waiting for like a literal angel And it's not even just that they were hotter, but they were like kinder, more patient. They were more aware of who Hugo was, what he seemed to want, because they had more visibility into how he acted on the show. And by the end, you know, you've got like Georgia, who's like, hey, like, let's talk. Like, how are you? Like, what's on your mind? You know, and then Amy, poor sweet Amy, gets into the Hugo zone of death. And she's working hard to like get him out of his shell and they're all vibing and stuff. Hugo's in his own way, man. The, the person desexualizing Hugo is Hugo. He needs to look at himself in the mirror and just like, I don't know, rumble with himself for a minute. Hugo managed to be incredibly sympathetic and a real waste of space at the same time. By the end, I was ready to be done with him. And that was a real Love Island 360 from what I had been saying for the book of his time on the show. He viewed these women as avatars, not as actual people. Like, okay, maybe Georgia isn't your wifey, but all she had to say was, I like horses. And he was like, my ex liked horses. Bye. You know, AJ was like hot and ready. You don't have to be with someone you're not into, but like he just turned on all of these women so fast. Like, I don't know. At least Hugo gave us the greatest recoupling speech ever. Right. So at least there's that. Shout out to him for that. That is true. So we've been talking about the guys. I also don't want to imply that the girls were really great shakes. I mean, like you said, Logan, Shannon was just not game. It's like she didn't even know what the show was. So they got rid of her. Liberty, honestly, until she has that revelation in week seven, she's pretty one note. Kaz took weeks to blossom into the sincere and frankly, sometimes sincerely awful person uh, that we grew to tolerate 
I know some people are huge Kaz fans. I get it. Uh, but, you know, she was pretty nondescript at the beginning. Sharon, Faye, and Chloe, though, I think they all looked like potential Great Islanders right from day dot. They all looked like they could carry a major story arc right away. And obviously Kaz did later. And Faye did. Faye carried most of the season. Yeah, no, Faye is, like, I feel she is season seven. I did not expect Chloe to come to the front as a major leading lady and the comic relief. That was a surprise to me. She was awful in the beginning. Just like that nasal voice and the forced flirting and the shit talking. I mean, the shit talking stayed. But I don't know. Chloe surprised me. Listen, I got my cards on the table. I think I'm in love with Chloe from season seven. She just leapt right out of the screen and into my heart. Just unapologetic, badass, and kept it going and just like became a more nuanced and interesting person throughout. So... She's my leading lady. I know it's the season of Faye, but, you know, hey, Chloe, what's up? Hey, Chloe, uh, we know you listen, so Logan plays rugby. I know you're into athletes, so that's rugby. That's a that's a British sport right there, so. I'm like Toby, but I read books. Oh, wow. I'll say, I think it was actually when Teddy comes into the villa at week three. That's really the turning point in the season. You know, it's the first time we have a male lead who has on-screen sincerity and the ability to express his thoughts and feelings. We also got a nice date for Sharon, Kaz, and Rachel, and Faye, like all who had been kind of tossed to the side by these other fools. Yeah, that's really true. That whole sequence of dates was really entertaining and interesting. And then Tyler comes on, and he's another really great supporting male Islander. And really, by the time we get to Casa Amor, we have a group of guys that has gelled and, you know, we're really fun to watch. Except for Liam, that giant bowl of plain oatmeal. It's kind of funny that you say that Teddy was the start of that because it's almost like the Teddy moment is what starts to unlock the better parts of the other boys. Because I feel like Teddy gets there and I think Aaron starts to open up more. And maybe, I mean, if I can, you know, save Aaron from Beck's zone of disdain, you know, it's like maybe he just needed another grown up to be in there who he could talk to because, you know, Toby and, and Mumble Brad weren't quite doing it. Yeah, there's room for growth for everybody. And, you know, Aaron became less hateful when he moved away from Sharon. So if that was Aaron's five minutes of growth, like he can have it. Yeah, no, I, and I think you're right. Like Aaron is at the start, the only guy who's not a boy. Right. And then we get Tyler and Teddy who are men. Tyler. Tyler kind of, come on, man. Tyler straddles the line. Tyler's just tall. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. But I also, I don't want to skip over the casting atrocity that was Danny Bibby. I can't believe that they let this guy on the show. Independent of his casual use of racial slurs on social media. I mean, which I think should probably be disqualifying right off the bat. He exhibited really disturbing patterns of behavior. I mean, it's really just reminiscent of an abuser. The way he treated Lucinda during Snog Mary Pie, look, that is textbook psychological manipulation. And the way that he disparaged her to her face and then to others behind her back in his effort to woo her. I mean, he's just trying to paint a picture of this woman who deserves to be treated poorly. How did he get cast? 
Are there any women involved in the casting process at all? Or maybe there are and they just have very deep internalized misogyny. I mean, are there psychologists or psychiatrists involved? It's stunning to me that they actually let this guy get on TV. And we'll address this later, but I can't help but note how Faye yelling at Teddy that set a record for public complaints for a broadcast in the UK, but Danny's behavior was barely remarked upon except by the fan base. This is the same show that let Terry and Adam C do as they wish, so I'm not really sure why you're surprised. What was it that uh, Danny said? It was treat him mean, keep him keen. Something like yeah. that, yeah. Pithy, but wow, what a douchebag. Yeah, he's a huge douchebag. And then he really just tries manipulating AJ as well. I'm just so glad that they got rid of him, that the fans got rid of him and the producers and production went along with it. And they didn't say, oh, let's keep this guy in because he creates controversy. But he wasn't even the good kind of controversy. He wasn't interesting. The other Islanders didn't like him except for Jake, another red flag. Yep. He wasn't serving anybody. He wasn't serving any purposes. Yeah. Yeah, so they got rid of him, and by the time we get to Casa, I really think the show is firing on all cylinders. The casting producers really culled the wheat from the chaff. We got rid of Lucinda, Brad, Chugs, Shannon, Sharon, AJ, and Danny. So I think they all ended up not fitting for various reasons, not that all of them were terrible Islanders. And I view Rachel, Georgia, and original Aaron kind of as collateral damage because the cast had to be remade into the successful formula. So they just had to be jettisoned because they were, you know, with some of those other people. Um, Rachel, 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 a moment of silence for Rachel. Yeah. Generous of you to put her in the collateral damage category rather than person who most self-sabotaged herself. Yeah. Well, she didn't fit. She was too grown up. And I don't know, Logan, are you alluding to the sexual conversations that she had? I just meant that her clearly getting duped by Homeboy, instead of taking our favorite bucket hat salesman, was like her own doing. If it was so obvious for us, I don't know how it couldn't have been obvious for her. Yeah, I mean, she had two guys who really were not interested in her, it seemed like. I don't know. I I do think Chugs is just the nicer person. And so he probably would have at least said, oh, you know, I should be nice and loyal to this person who kept me here when she really did not have to. So, yeah, I can see that. But I also think she got a really bad edit. I think that has pretty much been confirmed in terms of post-show interviews with not only her, but other Islanders that they really focused in on those more, you know, sexually oriented comments that she made. She was doomed from the moment she walked in like a drunken sailor on leave. Anyway. I mean, the formula that really carried us through this season, it's the same formula that works every season, which is the true romantic leads. This year it was Faye and Teddy. And I say that because the pace of the relationship matched the beats of the show. They had a solid date right before Casa. Casa really was the true test of Teddy's commitment to Faye. And then Mad Movies takes place at the exact moment for them to really reach the next level in their relationship and express their feelings for one another. I can see the argument for Liam and Millie, maybe. But yeah, I, I don't think the producers saw them that way. And then we had Chloe and Toby as kind of the sidekick couple. The Chris and Olivia to uh, Faye and Teddy's Kem and Amber, if you will. Chloe was absolutely right when she declared that she and Toby were the funniest couple in the villa. And I don't think I will ever forget when Toby turned to the camera 
and said that his head had been turned by Chloe after that post-casa recoupling. That was epic. Absolutely. And of course, we had Jake and Lib as Britain's sweethearts. Kaz and Tyler, the two game players who can't see that neither of them will win unless they both stop playing the game. And of course, we had Millie and Liam. Barf. Yeah. I think everyone was really hoping that Millie wouldn't take Liam back so quickly and so easily. And of course, by that, I mean me and uh, the producers of the show. I think we deserved more difficulty of them making back up. I wanted it to be harder for him, if at all, because he sucked. Yeah, he never apologized and she took him back, basically, is what happened. I think prolonging things would have been really great. Clearly, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring in Brett and that he was going to be the Greg-like figure, right? Calling back to season five, Greg comes in, sweeps Amber off her feet after Michael has treated her terribly. I think that was kind of the idea here. You know, Brett in his pre-Villa interview says he's going after Millie. That's his top target. He's a model just like Liam, even though Liam says he's a bricklayer, right? Isn't he a model? Man, you can't say this guy's like rugby Greg. Come on. That's like, yeah, that's like, I want Greg. And someone goes, we have Greg at home. Come on now. This is nothing like rugby Greg. Rugby Greg was smooth. He was like very attractive. I mean, I'm not saying that like Brett is a, dud but brett's a dud yeah. so oh, okay just let's go i agree i'm not i'm not saying that you know brett was this smooth cool guy quite the opposite but for millie brett is a greg right i'll also say millie is no amber yeah they're definitely very okay. different yeah brett was the worst there's no way captain socks and sandals was gonna oust Professor Grass is greener, okay? Liam and Millie had sick chemistry from their first meetup, and Brett was about as sexy as a walking coffee date. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. That's funny. I'm going to remember that one, Vex. That's really good. Yeah. I'm with you, though. I mean, Liam and Millie are like, um, these guys be a bit boring. I was surprised at how quickly they, like, reconciled stuff. I mean, I don't know what they're supposed to do, you know? Like, it's not like he can leave. It's not like he can go, like, do anything to curry her favor yeah i thought it could have been drawn out more even by the producers like maybe drop that millie lily conversation a little bit later just to let it be a little i don't know more dramatic but you're right i don't think liam really apologizes he just kind of writes that weird poem in front of the spotify star mabel and everyone's like wow he said the magic word you know <laughs> don't forget tissue with the uh, dirty joke on the bed too <laughs> So, so smooth quality oh wonderful job romeo yeah a real yeah cyrano de bergerac we got on our hands did i say that right yeah wow i'm impressed with myself yeah i think that the producers thought that millie was not going to take him back so quickly and they were surprised when she did i think that's the hard thing about producing a show like this is that you can't make the contestants do what you want you have to react to what they are doing. You know, unfortunately, by the time Brett gets into the villa, Millie and Liam are solid again. After we find out that Millie was a basically religious Justin Bieber fan, I mean, considering him like a deity, I guess, and she had a whole website and social media accounts dedicated to Justin Bieber, I mean, something about her personality after I learned that, it just, it just clicked. I definitely did not know that. Okay, maybe that was, yeah, I don't think that was on the show. It certainly was something that went through social media because 
I couldn't figure out why this beautiful, intelligent, considerate, and caring young woman would tolerate being treated so poorly by someone like Liam, you know, who frankly is punching way above his weight, in my opinion, in being with her. And not because of looks, because of personality, honestly. What is it? Like she's teaching him vocabulary words. It's, it's ridiculous. So is there something that is deep inside Millie that yearns for this kind of fairy tale storybook romance with Prince Charming who sweeps her off her feet? Isn't that the whole point of the show? Isn't that all the girls who go on the show? See, I think it's a split. I think there are the fairy tale romance people and I think there are the I am going to learn how to be in a relationship and grow people. I think they're both. And, you know, Millie is clearly one of those and not the other. It's tough to tell them apart because by the time they get to their declarations of love, they all say, I never expected to find someone who would do exactly what this show aims to do. I don't know. Isn't Millie also like a bit older than Liam? Liam's like 21, right? And I mean, Millie's not like 30, right? But I think she's more grown than I would imagine a 21-year-old being. I think they were like 22 and 25. Oh, okay. So it's not that much. Yeah, she's definitely like three or four years older. Yeah. Um, it's also a bummer that they reconciled so fast because it just, their plot just got kind of boring, man. Like, what are you guys doing here anymore? Just leave and go, go have your life. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think they're probably going to break up quickly. Uh, they're apartment hunting in Essex right now, so maybe not. They might be well suited in terms of bland likability and average intelligence. Very possible. And hey, without Liam, we would not have had one of the best Casa Amores and post-Casa recouplings in show history. I think you can argue this is really the best post-Casa recoupling ever on Love Island. So season three had Cam and Amber both twisting and Olivia and Chris both stuck by each other. That was a pretty good one. Four and five had Josh's and Michael's legendary betrayals of Georgia and Amber, respectively. And sorry, Shauna, season six, your moment does not make this list. But this season had Teddy leaving phase Teddy at the fire pit. Toby's return with yet another girl. Tyler and Kaz both twisting and, you know, Liam has this plan to totally move past the Lily situation. And of course, that plan is ruined when Lily is brought out and then allowed to speak to the entire group. All right, wait, I just need to interject here. I think season six is at least on par with season four. Josh and G had issues going into Casa and both he and Callum found a woman much, much better suited for them. Season five was a bullshit because Michael and Amber, while maybe not like Endgame, were way better together than that boring, sexy cookie cutter named Joanna. Oh, no doubt. I'm just talking about the drama of the recoupling ceremony itself was pretty crazy this year. Yeah, it was pretty delicious. Yeah, I'm not arguing with that. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying I think four and six are on par. We're five. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I thought this one was pretty delightful. And I still, last time I was on the pod, I uh, said that I couldn't get through Casa Amor season four because I know what happens to little G and I have not progressed. So I can't weigh in on that one. But I actually did prefer the Michael Amber twist to the Shauna Callum one because the Shauna Callum one, I was like, finally. Whereas with Michael and Amber, I was like, oh, bro, like you're not going to do this to her, really? So I I found five a little more uh, riveting. 
You gotta watch G fly off the rails, though. G completely unhinges. I heard she becomes a total villain later on, and so I'm just she like... She does. Yeah, she just rejects everybody. It is, it's very great. Oh, man, okay. So we had four straight weeks, weeks three through six of the show. They all moved really well. Great supporting Islanders doing their parts, the leads doing their parts. And then the supporting Islanders left the show when they finished their arcs. So Hugo was never going to become vulnerable enough to make a genuine connection and grow. But he did eventually get the girl job Job done, done. even if he left with his foot in his mouth again. So Matt also was the perfect foil to Tyler, right? He's cool, confident. He's in the villa for over two weeks and he never is in a couple. Very tall, even taller than Tyler. And uh, Liam. Yeah, that's right. He was the tallest one, right? So tiny hats off to Matt. Abby was another great Islander who had a variety of different roles in the show, from temptress to woman scorned, and she played them all well. Dale, actually, someone I would have liked as an original. I really liked him. I thought he was good. Except for the chains. Ah, come on. Every every Islander needs their quirk, right? They had a lot. He had the teeth, the chain, the anime tattoos. That's right. Yeah. Dale was a quirky dude. Yeah, I'm a Dale fan. I also do want to mention that this is just another season that the producers played lip service to diversity through representation, but... I don't think they effectively promoted it because, you know, we didn't have enough white guys or any white guys who were into dark skinned girls. You know, I've said it before. Love Island needs white guys who are basically only into dark skinned girls to basically, you know, make the show work if they're going to try to do this. They should have guys of all races who are into all races. That'd be the ideal scenario but like every single year we have this problem where there is a beautiful dark-skinned woman and she has to hold out hope that maybe one guy or two guys out of the six or seven who might consider dating them actually like them more than everyone else that makes it so hard for them and rachel got screwed over really badly yeah i think it's it's a really unfortunate reality of i mean kind of every dating show frankly but it if i think it feels rough with love island you know that they're like tossing people in like by design whereas like i get it like the bachelor does the same thing but they kind of like set a universe and then they just like let it play out they're like oh no it's free choice so yeah i feel you i think it's it's really unlucky i appreciated that like matt was very into kaz i thought that was like a good thing to see depicted on screen but you're right i mean there's like a lot to a lot of work to be done in this regard on Love Island, like culturally as well. I was surprised watching the finale at how many of the finalists were not white and was like, oh, okay, like interesting to see that. Yeah. And I was going to mention this later, but Kaz and Tyler are the first black couple to make the finals. And Kaz is the first dark skinned woman to make the finals in seven seasons. Wow. Is she also the first dark skinned woman who's actually had two guys? fighting over her i mean amber was probably the most lucky but she had european-esque features so yeah, I, don't... Huh. I feel like a lot of people say um that they want like mixed features like that's i think where i i see it happening a lot with at least definitely on love island and then i don't really watch a lot of american reality tv i think feel like the accent is what you know keeps me hooked was rachel the first black woman to be a bombshell um yeah apart from casa maybe yeah i'm trying to remember <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, if so, that makes their editing of her, I think, much worse. 
in the position they left her in, much worse. Which I guess you could say is like not the worst thing because she had all the power, but I feel like bombshells like they're always safe for one recoupling anyways. So you know, she didn't have good power and she didn't have good choices, Rachel. She was in a crappy bombshell position. Yeah. A show that I thought was much better in terms of diversity and like fair pickings for everybody. By the way, Logan was F Boy Island on HBO. Highly recommend that one. And to the listeners, a worthy entry into the vast islands of reality TV. Another thing I wanted to talk about, certainly not as problematic as the issues around race, but why did they introduce Kayla, the international DJ? Poor Kayla. Why do they introduce her into Casa Amor? I mean, before we saw Kayla strike out as an old 28, right? They're saying how old she was. Before that, we saw Rachel, AJ, and Georgia all do the same. And I think they were all 27 or 28. Why would you put these girls in the villa with a bunch of babies? Even Tyler at 26, as you guys said, had some growing up to do. Was Teddy supposed to date all of these girls? Seems like he's the only one who's actually mature enough. Aaron was... Aaron was only 24. Wow. Yeah, he was more mature, though. I, I agree. I get so deceived by that smooth talking. I'd also say Teddy is the only guy who walked into the villa and was actually able to carry the load of the major storyline. I think he's probably the only one that could have really been opposite Faye for her journey and, and her falling in love. I mean, how many guys in, in Love Island history would ever have stuck it out like Teddy did? I mean, wouldn't have been me. I'll tell you that much, Teddy. You're a better man than me. Yeah. I got to tell you, like, I don't know how many guys are that masochistic. He likes her crazy. And that's his right to be into that. But, like, that's a lot. She's a lot. I know what it looks like to like crazy. And, yeah, that man likes crazy. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I mean, I think all of us are attracted to certain neuroses and bad behaviors sometimes. Then I'm curious, so would you like, like with DJ Kayla, would you say that if they're going to take someone who's a bit older, they should make them an original or bring them on earlier in the season rather than Casa? Or should they just be like, all right, once you're above 26, we're probably not casting you unless you're, you know, Bella Hadid. They just need to have a mix of contestants. I would personally actually like to see them raise the age to something like 23 or 24 and try to keep it in like 23 to 31 or 32, something like that. I feel like a lot of our best Islanders have been in that age range. And that's enough that we'll get a mix of mature and immature people. But I think maybe more possible permutations, right? Because like a 31-year-old is not going to date a 20-year-old. But we've seen 31-year-olds date 23 and 24-year-olds. Actually, we did see one. Yeah, what about one dude and the flight attendant? Yeah, Laura and... Wes. Yeah, Scott and Katie from season two were like nine years apart. Emma and Terry were nine years apart. But I mean, Emma was creepy as all hell. And Scott was an emotionally stunted man child when he got in. So I do like the idea of raising the age. But really, Logan, to answer your question, if you know that all the boys in the house are 26 and under and babies, don't throw a 28-year-old woman in there. Throw him another 21-year-old. Or bring in a cool Paul. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. This is also about... The difference between having older men versus older women. The older guys don't have any trouble, but the older women, and by older, I mean like 28, 29, they do usually have problems. Yeah. 
we're stumbling into the realities of structural racism and patriarchy. We're, we're seeing it manifest here on Love Island. Listener, you didn't think you were going to get a critical studies podcast, but here we are. Yeah, well, we do occasionally dip into that. Actually, we're doing that compilation episode. I found three good ones about politics and social justice. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, I don't think we've ever seen anybody like Faye and Teddy on the show, like that type of a mature relationship. I think Paige and Finn actually come surprisingly close in a lot of ways, uh, even though they're much younger. And obviously, Jamie and Camilla in season three, that's a really great mature relationship. And obviously, Jamie and Camilla are now family with kids, and we didn't see them for six weeks like we did with with Faye and Teddy. Uh, hello? Luke T. and Shawnice. We just spent a whole season talking about what a mature, grown-up, emotionally communicative, and supportive relationship they had. Have you completely forgotten your roots? Yeah, I guess I have. Shawnice and Luke T. are everything. And also Nathan and Kara from season two are still together, married with kids, but their relationship on the show was pretty high school with all the farting and jerking off under the covers and so on. Yeah. You got to watch season two. Uh, Season two is a hot, wonderful, beautiful, frustrating mess. Oh, yeah. And if you want to talk about patriarchy, season two is where it's at. Perfect. Can't wait. I also would say like Faye is very clearly this year's protagonist. I think in hindsight, you know, people will go back and watch the show. That'll be very evident. Producers really intended for the audience to watch the show through her eyes and her journey from realizing that she was picking guys for all the wrong reasons when she had nothing to talk about with Brad on their first day in the villa. And then she breaks up with Teddy twice and then gets back together with with him twice more. And then she exchanges I love you's with him. I mean, that was really beautiful. That was really powerful. Yeah, don't forget the whiff of possibility with Hugo, but then she ditches him for Oatmeal Liam. Oh, yeah. And uh, Sam, too. Yeah. So, yes, Faye coupled up with pretty much everybody in her attempts to find true love. And Faye and Teddy, I think they really overcome real obstacles and they face them head on. And they emerge a really strong couple on the other side at the end of the show. Again, really strong contrast to the season's winners, Liam and Millie, who basically pretended to face their issues, but only ignored them. So why didn't Faye and Teddy win? I know. I think it's because Faye is not, you're relieved and happy for her, but she has taken you to a place of deep frustration so often that you're like, no, like, Sorry, sis. I don't know. Like, I found myself by the end of the season just being so tired of Faye. See, it's not just me. Like, you got the best guy on the show. What do you want? Money, too? Like, come on. You got the best one. And he still likes you after all that bananas. Yeah. And you're mad he listens to jazz. Like, what are we doing here? Well, I mean, no one really likes jazz. It's just something people pretend to like to seem smart, I think. Perhaps. Perhaps. So, I mean, look, I could be snide. I'll say like, oh, Fiat 500 Twitter is why Millie and Liam won. I actually think it's it's impressive that Faye and Teddy didn't come in a distant fourth after Faye supposedly generated more public complaints for a television broadcast than anyone in the history of British television. Even Jeremy Kyle? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of incredible, actually, if you think about it like that. Faye and Teddy definitely suffered for her frank emotional outburst, and that was definitely not received well by the British public. But compared to American TV, 
Like, have these people ever seen Are You the One? That's all outbursts. Yeah. Even, you know, American TV has lots more drama generally. And the famously stiff-lipped Brits, they don't like how Faye acted and she and Teddy were punished for it. You know, her behavior, like I said, would not be considered out of line on American reality TV. And they probably would have been a shoe-in in the U.S. But instead, I think viewers rewarded Liam and Millie, who just ignored their issues. Look, we only see a slice of what happens in the villa. And that slice is certainly shaped to form a specific story. And the producers are always trying to make what happens make sense to us as we're viewing the show. So while we don't know for sure if Millie and Liam did have actual serious conversations about what might have led to Liam's infidelity, and if Liam ever actually demonstrated any understanding of Millie's perspective, it would be Really weird if those things did happen and the producers decided not to show them. So I have to assume what we saw was roughly the sum total of their conversations. And I was just thinking about the interview that we did with Billy Joe Gibson of 0151 Scouse Cast, where they discussed the impact of Love Island on young girls. An article in Slate about how Fiat 500 Twitter propelled Liam and Millie to victory. Is it problematic that a show whose primary appeal is to young people modeled an unhealthy relationship where a woman allows herself to get treated really poorly and, you know, having viewers that skew really young and female then propel that couple to the top of the final after they reconcile, even though they haven't really gotten over it? How problematic is that? Remind me, at the point where everyone goes to Casa more. Have Millie and Liam, they like said like, all right, we're like exclusive, you know, we're locking this in with just each other. No. I mean, I I don't know. Like, I don't want to be, you know, pulling out the F-boy book, but it makes it a little funny to like describe it as an infidelity on his part, right? Like, I think he should recognize that he hurt her feelings and that what he did was shitty. I do think that he should have been aware of that at the time and should have maybe just been like, yeah, like there was this very pushy, sexy pixie who you know, I wanted to explore some stuff with. Um, I don't know that he had a very big window of time to actually divulge that information to Millie before the show was like, take that, Liam. You know, we brought her out here to talk. So it's a little bit tough to be like super hard on him only because I don't know that he was given the chance to come clean himself. I don't think the producers would have brought her out if he was going to come clean himself. And I don't think the producers would have done that extra scene between Millie and Lily if they thought Liam was actually going to divulge what happened. He had time because he could have given Millie the full story after Lily's recoupling reveal, but he didn't. That's true. They were like, okay, Mills, girl, you need to know the whole story. That's true. I just meant the, the time between him sitting down with her after Casa and when Lily says, I had a connection with Liam in front of Laura Whitmore. But yes, I do agree that after that, he had ample opportunity. Yeah, no, I I think that's a fair point, though, about the state of their relationship and the commitment. I'm kind of using like Love Island standards there. And I, I think generally Liam behaved worse than almost any guy in the history of the show on Love Island. Yeah. Uh, Are you smoking crack? No, no, I'm sorry. I restated it. Casa Amor. Guys who have gone into Casa Amor with, you know, a girl at the villa. I think Liam was the most duplicitous. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm trying to run through all of the seasons and I'm having a hard time. I just hate Liam, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I'm catching on to that. I, I actually wonder a little bit if your question you're tracing about like, 
how Millie and Liam don't in fact like seem to grapple with the nature of their problems in a way that Faye and Teddy do. I wonder if that's like actually kind of what makes them relatable and popular. You know, it's that I think a lot of people navigate their problems in this way that in, in a manner that feels like you perform the things that seem like you're repenting and you're like, I feel bad and I'm sorry. And I do these public acts to show you how much I care. I humiliate myself in some way, but it doesn't address like you said X, you know, it implies this when you say it to me, it makes me feel bad, which is, I think what Teddy and Faye did often. And it's unfortunate that Faye's outbursts were like so superlative examples of someone being angry. Cause I think it, made it tougher to see like just how cool some of the work that they were doing on the back end to repair that was, but it's a tougher model to like, to see and recognize for like younger people who I think maybe haven't had as much experience dating or aren't getting coached by their therapists or having friends hold them accountable. Yeah. I mean, I think that is such a great point. That's really, really insightful. And I think it kind of goes to the idea that, you know, the show is not really to blame here maybe in some other cases and other seasons, but I think that the season was actually engineered to deliver victory to Faye and Teddy, and they totally misread the audience. I think they were surprised when Millie took Liam back so quickly, like I said, and I don't think we've ever seen anything like what they did with Lily. Totally unprecedented. So ultimately, I think this is probably an example of Love Island just as an ugly mirror, or maybe it's just that Love Island voters are young. And they still really want to believe in Prince Charming's. And who can blame them after Love Island decided to rip apart its own trope of the sweetheart couple that talks plenty about their feelings without showing much of them? I think that's a little bit what you're talking about, too, Logan. So, I mean, we got Jack and Danny. They're the archetype of that. But you've also got Demi and Luke, Amy and Curtis, Sam and Georgia, Luis and Callie. And they're all in that category. This year's edition is just Jake and Liberty. And look, Jake gave hints that he was a secret douchebag. I didn't want to see them. So, you know, they were more than hints, really, right? The morning after he and Lib first go to the hideaway and he talks down his interest in her to the point where it wasn't clear if they would even be staying together, right? And she had no idea about any of that until four and a half weeks later. So it's kind of nuts that we had Chekhov's gun with us for so long that we all forgot about it. Which I guess is kind of the point. Oh shit, we're getting literary again. I admit I doubted the producers at points this year between the mess at the beginning of the show, then Danny's appearance. Like I was really wondering whether this team had lost its touch. Mad Movies though, that was genius reality TV production. I mean, to replay a clip from a week and a half into the villa five weeks later, that was masterful. I wish this had been done in prior seasons. Laura and Georgia and New Jack. That needed to be a video. Anyway, continue. Yeah, and you know that they did it uh, to Jake, who is basically a graduate level student of Love Island. I mean, that was juicy, right? He had Cam and Amber's bracelets. He had the timing of all his moves worked out. And then we later find out that he often discussed with Liberty how they had to remember that they were always on TV and that they need to make good TV content. I mean, that's nuts. I mean, is Jake genuine at all? I have no idea. I don't even know if Jake knows. Yeah, maybe Jake is the most genuine for calling it what it is. You know, hey, we're in this tanned open air prison and let's just be 100 about what this actually is. Now, does that make him genuine to Liberty, our 
she runs like a chicken shop, right? Our, our chicken shop queen, who I think is so sincere and really was just about finding love. No, probably not. But uh, the guy knows the situation for sure. And I respect him in some weird way for being willing to say, hey, we're on a TV show. Let's not lose sight of that fact. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning at this point toward Jake being an actor and that his feelings were not genuine. Yeah. Jake and Liberty, regardless of who they are on this you know, molecular level, they made the last week worth watching. I usually like the last week. I like the families. I tolerate the babies. But that twist was epic and was a great payoff for a really difficult season. Yeah, usually the last week is really boring. This year, not at all. This year's Love Island really defies easy stereotyping. But if there is an overarching message, I'd say that it's we need to confront ourselves which means both an honest assessment of our flaws and also of our value and our positive traits, like Liberty did, right? If we're going to be successful in our relationships, we really do need to be honest with ourselves and other people, except if you're Liam and Millie. All right. That was very insightful. Look at us, how smart we are. Should we talk about the finale for a minute? Yeah, let's do that. All right. So in our finale episode, we've got some morning chit chat. We've got some coffee and we've got a text. Tonight is the 2021 summer ball. It's time for dance lessons. Salsa dancing, as is tradition. And, you know, Toby and Teddy have moves. Chloe can't follow. Tyler's super competitive and Liam is rushing. But all of that is stupid, and they make a conga line, and everybody's happy. Did you guys notice how tan everybody was at this point? It was like they they know the end is coming, and they're just like, screw it. I'm getting as bronze as possible. Like, they are the tannest they've been this entire season. I was, they look like bodybuilders. You know how they look for, like, competitions? I was like, whoa, everyone needs to get inside, put on some ointment. We've got another text and the girls get a spa day. And this was super depressing because of COVID, they don't have any professionals. So it's just a bunch of face masks and robes in a basket. It was really sad. I felt really bad for them. So after spa day, declarations get written. Liam and Teddy seem to be having an easier time getting it done. And Kaz tells the girls to lay it all out there. What are we shying away from? Kind of calling back your point from a minute ago. Yeah, go Kaz. Go Kaz. And so we've got Toby's perfect toast. No risk, no reward. And let's get right into the declarations because that's what we're here for. All right. All right. So Milliam, first up. I liked her little bit about um, him being Welsh, six foot six and 10 out of 10. But she was otherwise underwhelming. B minus. I gave that one a C plus. Liam? He remembers what he wore when they first met. He talks about their first kiss. He apologizes for his bullshit. It was a personal, specific speech, and I hate that I liked it. He gets a begrudging A-. minus. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like You guys know my feelings about this guy, but I gave this one an A. You can't do better than Liam, almost. Someone put some cinnamon in that bowl of oatmeal. I get the weird feeling that in an alternate life, Liam is like, a good writer, I don't know, like an English grad student. And he's sitting at a, you know, a cafe in Dublin on like a cloudy day, just like scribbling away like the next great novel or something. 
in this universe, he's a bricklayer. Yeah, right, right, right. So, Fetty. So, Faye gets minus points for rhyming, but she continues to take full responsibility for her ugly behavior and thanks Teddy for his love and support. So, we'll just give her a B. Good job. I didn't like it. You know, I love Faye, but I gave this a C. You don't like the rhyming ones. Yeah, I really don't. You're right. Yeah, I felt like I couldn't decide if the form was letting her be more vulnerable or if she was hiding behind it. And honestly, I was just like, this didn't need to rhyme at all. Like, really, just let it be normal sentences. Hiding behind it. Definitely hiding behind it. Teddy, so romantic. Every moment when I look into those deep blue eyes, I see forever. OMG, a panty dropping A+. Yeah, also an A-plus for me. Gotta say, I was not surprised that Teddy knocked it out of the park. Four out of four panties on the floor. 100%. That was a rap lyric. (laughs) A better rhyme than they had. For sure. All right, so Kyler. Kaz had lots of horse metaphors, which was confusing. Is she a secret horse girl? They did have the horse-drawn carriage. I don't know. B-minus. Yeah, I gave that one a B. No, a B-plus. I like that one. Yeah. And then Ty Ty. Ty Ty refers to our oopsie, which gave me both unplanned pregnancy and Hugh Grant in Notting Hill vibes. But at least he acknowledges that he messed up. And he says, I'm yours and I'll always be yours. So that's worthy of a B for sure. I don't know. I gave that one a C for some reason. Yeah, I think the line was. I'm yours and I have always been yours, which I think is an amazing retcon by Tyler, considering the fact that he, in fact, has not. Ooh, that adds so much to this. Yeah. And I wasn't going to bring this up, but also Kaz and Tyler's video montage, you know, that comes a little bit later in the live final segment also seems to do some kind of rewriting of of history. But eh. ooh, all right. Well, fine, then I don't care. The oopsie is still funny. And finally, Chloe. Chloe acknowledges their improved communication skills. We're using way more words this time. And she tells Toby he gets to drive the boat now. What boat is this? I think it's like driving the bus is I think what she meant. But yeah, I also I gave her a B. Yeah, I did like that. She said um, Toby makes her feel safe and confident. Because they're so goofy and sexual that it's nice to be reminded that they actually have like something substantive occurring between them. Well, with that point, I would knock her up to a B plus. <laughs> I would knock her up. Anyway, good point. I like Oopsie. it. And Toby talks about steering the boat with no license. And then he girlfriends her. So that has to be an A. Yeah, I also give Toby an A. Great job, Toby. Yeah, he crushed it. I was grinning ear to ear when he says... Um, I'm addicted to you. And Chloe goes, yeah, I think that's just such a a choice snippet of their relationship. They're super cute. I can't help it. I like them. So then we do the dots. We have Despacito. Interesting choice, I guess. I'm pretty sure Faye riding Teddy's waist is not an officially salsa sanctioned move. Really? I'm pretty sure. And then winners are revealed, blah, blah, blah. Millie gets the money envelope, but her dumbass gives it up for love. Well, I mean, the whole purse. She splits it for love. Her dumbass. You know how many shiny dresses you could buy with that much money? A lot, probably. So a couple other quick things I wanted to mention. Toby is the first original boy to make a final since season four. And just like in season six, 
all of these finalists entered before Casa Amor. And in three, four, and five, we had Casa and post-Casa people in the finals. So that was a little weird. And then also, all four couples in the final broke up and got back together. And I think that's the first time that's ever happened. Three of them because of Casa. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to talk about those dresses and TNA or you want to do that? Yeah, let's do a quick yeah. TNA and then we'll get to the final bits because the cat's whining for lunch and so is the baby. Time for the TNA report. The TNA report. All right. So just a few things. Laura Whitmore killing it this season. We got a big thumbs up for her white jacket dress with the chains. Well, are we talking about the blazer, the bedazzled blazer? Yeah. Oh, I didn't love it. I, I got to say, I didn't love it. I wasn't feeling it. Millie, two good dresses. The yellow keyhole dress at the declarations and the hunter green dress at the live segment. Chloe had a blue strappy dress on at the declarations. Also super cute. And of course, boys in tuxes. You could never go wrong with a line of Bruce Wayne's. I think I liked Chloe's dress the best. And Faye, the, the worst. I think generally Faye has a pretty negative fashion episode, unfortunately. Yeah, Faye, the only negatives were on Faye, the wet look hair. Yeah, why does she keep doing that? Great question. I was hoping you guys would bring this up. I'm flummoxed, gobsmacked. I don't know. It's not, it's not a good look for her. And then the pumpkin colored dress like just does not fit right. Maybe it's the microphone cutting her off at a weird place, but Faye was the only negative fashion wise. Let's talk about what the finals would have been like if it was up to us. I'll start things off, I guess. I would have traded out one of the couples. I would have kept Cloby, Fetty, and Kyler. I would have gotten rid of Liam and Millie. Gotten rid of the winners. Yeah, I know. So I would have replaced them with Matt and Priya, honestly. And I know they were like not even a couple, but that's what I'm going with. And I would have had Faye and Teddy win. Yeah, I mean, I would have taken out Millie and Liam and put in Gibbity just for fun. What I really wanted, honestly, was for Jake and Liberty to go on the boat and be like, all right, fuck it. Like, let's just ride this out. The viewers are stupid enough to believe in us. Like, let's just pull a Donald Trump and like take advantage of all these simple minded people. And then we'll split the money and go our separate ways. That's what I wanted to see. And I would have had Chloe win it just because Toby's growth and Chloe's growth to a certain extent too really were impressive to see. Yeah. I also thought it could have been cool if Jake and Liberty found a way to like have like a strong friendship because I do think they care about each other, even if they're maybe not like a good romantic pairing. We see them work it out in front of us over the last couple of days. Worst case, it's supremely awkward and it's delicious TV. But yeah, I thought it would have been cool. And, you know, Shout out to my girl, Chloe. I got to make sure she gets the bag. So I would have had Chloe and Toby win. Yep. I think we're all pretty uh, aligned on this one. Liam and Millie are poop and Chloe or Fetty deserved the pocket. Definitely. So with that, let's talk about Brexit. That's right. You know, we love politics on this show enough to talk about Brexit once a year. Let's talk about how some of these Islanders would have voted. As per last season, Becca and Logan, you guys have made your guesses, and I know the real answer, which is whatever I say it is. Let's start by talking about some of our finalists. Liam, 
our favorite guy. Leave. Yes, you guys are totally right. Everybody thought he would vote leave. Not a surprise. Now, there was some disagreement, though, on Millie. So, Becca, you thought that Millie would have voted leave. Why did you think that? Because she's from Essex and Essex is Staten Island and Staten Island would have said leave. Okay, that's fair logic. Actually, you're wrong and she voted remain. Actually, you're wrong. Essex, despite being like Staten Island in many, many ways, is not nearly as culturally conservative, at least uniformly. There are conservative parts of Essex, it looks like, but a lot of Essex is fairly liberal. Romford voted overwhelmingly to leave, though. Isn't it she actually from Romford? So here's what I would say is I think that Millie, if she did not know Liam, would have voted remain. But if she was with Liam, she would have voted leave. Liam would have been in like 10th grade. Right. But I'm saying if like they were a couple in 2016, that she would have voted leave. But on her own, I think she would have gone remain. Anyway, Chloe, you guys were right about that. She definitely said remain. Toby. What? So yeah, Toby doesn't know what's going on. No, Toby has no clue. What do you think, Logan? You know, he's a footballer. I thought he'd want easier access to Europe. So I thought that he'd want to remain. Yeah, uh, you were wrong, though, because Toby voted leave. And largely, like Beck said, he's kind of confused about the whole thing. Wasn't really sure what the issues were on the line. Some people told him he should vote leave. So that's kind of what he ended up doing. Faye, this is interesting because, Beck, you said she voted remain. Yeah, I think she has half a brain. Yeah. Now, Logan, you said she voted leave. Isn't she from Devon? It's like a small rural part of England. I, I don't know. Like the one person I met who's from Devon, he was actually from a town that was too small even for me to know it. So he referred to Devon. Like their homes have like names and stuff, you know, not even addresses, just like names. I just figured that the rural part would go leave. Yeah, it's super old. I see your logic there. However, the West Country, the part of England where Faye is from. And is- Shawnee's. Yeah, and Shawnees and Ollie Williams and many others is one of the poorest areas in England. And Cornwall is one of two places in England that actually qualified for EU developmental aid. And so the West Country, Devon and Cornwall actually benefited a lot from being in the EU and being able to tap into their economic development programs, but also phase in real estate. I would venture to guess that the real estate industry, by and large, was going to be voting remain because of all of the additional real estate activity. Anyway, Teddy, obviously, remain. Kaz and Tyler, they're both remain. Jake, Beck, you said leave. Yeah, he sucks. Yep. But Logan, you said that uh, Jake voted remain. Yeah, I just thought he'd surprise us here. I don't know. He wants to party. I I was like, no way is Jake just going to take all the positions that we don't really like. I figured he'd he'd come through with a surprise here. Uh, You're way too generous to Jake, I think. Yeah, he turned out to be just as awful as I didn't want him to be. So Yeah, I know. I kept thinking, oh, maybe I should give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, that was a mistake. Anyway, Liberty, she's great. She voted for Maine. She's very smart. We know that. Brett. Uh, remain and a pompous speech about why. Sounds right. What about Priya? Leave and a huffy counter speech about why. Yep. And have there ever been two people so ill-suited on Love Island? I don't know. Hugo. What would Hugo do? Remain with tears. So what do you think, Logan? Yeah, I said he has to be remain because anything he touches goes to shit. If he's remain, then Britain would leave. And we saw what happened. 
So you're saying if Hugo had voted to leave, that Britain would still be in the EU? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I buy that. I totally buy that. Now, Lily, Beck, you voted leave. And Logan, you said that Lily voted remain. Yeah. Lily's basically from Newcastle. And Newcastle, I looked this up, was a big remain area. Lily can't just be a villain. She's got to have a little bit of worldliness to her. I was throwing up a prayer for her. I don't think that she voted to leave because she's a villain. I think she's just a chaos agent, you know? That's fair. That's a good point. How about Lucinda? I think she gets the Haley Award for, does that mean there won't be any more trees? So, Logan, you had her as Remain. What were you thinking behind that one? The logic is so roundabout. Aaron seemed to be content with Lucinda. And I think Aaron is a smart enough guy that if she was a leave person, he wouldn't have really messed with her like that. So I was like, by proxy, I'm thinking you're a Remain. Yeah. I said leave largely because, I don't know, kind of the same reason as Toby. How about- Really? Yes, really. How about- Shannon, a.k.a. Sharon. Beck, you had her as Remain. But Logan, you had Sharon as someone who would vote to leave. I thought Wasn't her was job doing Brexit transportation policy? Yes. So she works for the government trying to figure out what transportation policy should be post-Brexit, I guess. But she is like hardcore progressive activist and actually has very whole bunch of liberal credentials. She used to work in an NGO before she was with the government. Oh man, I made so many assumptions based on her saying that she did Brexit transportation policy all throughout the season. Like she would pop up on the screen and I'd be like, look at this Tory, so tired of her. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at all. Oops. Well, you know, it's okay, man. You're not her third degree LinkedIn connection like I am. True, true. Sharon, sorry about that one. And of course- Chugs. Let's do a quick shout out to Chugs because Logan, how would he have voted? Remain for sure. And also he has great bucket hats. He needs to restock them because I'm trying to buy one. You guys should check him out. I did check him out. I'll tell you, I'm not much of a bucket hat guy. I love hats. That one just not super flattering for me. That's real. It's me being in Brooklyn and all these uh, Gen Z folks to make me feel like I need to be cooler. So now I'm, I'm, you know, I've got the wide leg pants wearing a bunch of stuff that looks awful on me, but I'm trying to stay with the times. All right. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up for talking about Brexit. Yeah, let's get into our final and favorite segment, the superlatives for this year's graduating class of Love Island UK. Yeah, it is our awards for the season, if you will. The first award is for the muggiest Islander. And the nominees are Liam. Toby, Jake, Priya, and Lucinda. This was a hard category. There were a lot of very, very muggy Islanders this year, but ultimately (laughs) the muggiest is Jake. Is there even any debate? No, there's no debate. No debate at all. So the flip side of that one, it is the award for the biggest mug. And the nominees are Millie, Abby, Original Aaron, and Rachel. And the winner is... Rachel. Sorry about it. Honestly, all the things we've talked about today make me feel bad for putting her in this category and giving her the biggest mug award. But uh, facts are facts. All right. The next award it is for best teeth. Got to do it. We've got original Aaron, Brad, Dale and Priya. And Priya's, by the way, 
definitely confirmed to be natural. I so, like them big natural teethies. The winner this year, the best teeth in Love Island, season seven. It's Aaron One. Okay, next up, we have got the best feminist. And the nominees are... Brett, Liberty, Chloe, Hugo, and Faye. And the winner is... All right, this was a little bit of a uh, controversial decision. So I, with no authority whatsoever except the one invested in myself, have voted Hugo as the best feminist. And this one's kind of tongue-in-cheek, as I mentioned before, because yes, he gave that great speech for Chloe and really defended her against Toby's nonsense. But at the end of the day, he was really kind of nasty and not nice to most of the women he interacted with. And so best feminist, Hugo. I found your reasoning really compelling, Max. I agree. And also rereading this and seeing that you wrote feminist. I got it now. I wanted to shout out Chloe, my sweet, sweet Chloe, just because I did appreciate how she came in and was kind of just like unapologetically herself, it seemed from the jump. I don't know. I think like exhibited her full range of emotion. It was like, you know, I'm hurt by this thing that you did. I'm really feeling myself. Like when Aaron said that he thought she was cute and she goes, I'm a weapon. I was like, yeah, girl, you know, feel yourself. She would, you know, like be horny. She would be like emotional, you know, like she'd cry. She would pick herself up. And I thought that it was um, cool to see someone exhibit that full range. And like, she, I think she's a stronger female Islander than people would have initially expected her to be based on that voice memo that we get introducing her to the cast. A hundred percent. And I feel like I alluded to that before, but thank you so much for putting it in smart words. So next, let's uh, let's get a little silly. It's a new award for this year, and it is the best hometown name. The nominees are Beck. Okay, so we've got Weston Supermare. Which sounds like some kind of horse superhero. Jake. Clit Hero? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to pronounce it. Clit Hero? It's definitely can be read as Clit Hero. Casa Sam. Cockfosters. Rachel was from Cockfosters. Bister? Bychester? Yeah, Bychester. Chloe. And then honorable mention to Down Patrick. Yeah, that's where Matthew is from. Why is that? I just thought like Down Patrick. Down. I like that. Mm, okay. And West Mosley. That just sounds weird. Mosley. Dude, this isn't even a contest. Okay, yeah, who's the winner? We all need a clit hero. Anybody who's got one knows you need someone who can play it like a guitar. We all need a clit hero. Easy winner. Okay, and that is a great segue to the adultiest adult. So the nominees are... Teddy, Sharon, Rachel, Priya, and Brett. And the winner is... Teddy, of course, for the reasons we have previously laid out. Yeah, that was a slam dunk. Even if he is a bit of a masochist, it's with consent. Next, I want to go to a special category. This is Logan's category, the Casa Amor More Award, given to the Casa Amorian, who we think we would have loved to see more of. So our nominees here are Harry, Kayla, Jack, and Amy. So while not our winner, we talked earlier, honorable mention to Kayla, just different DJ could have been, I don't know, could have been something new for this show. But Amy, I mean, my goodness, this girl, she was a victim of the Hugo Hammer. Uh, she deserved better. She was nice. She was pretty. She was funny. She carried that couple. She did everything. Honestly, I think if she was like one of the first six, she may have gone all the way to the finale because she was 
in the short time we knew her, she was like very likable. Yeah, I'm pouring one out for you, Amy. I'm sorry that Hugo was the one you got linked up with. The Hugo Hammer. I like that. Yeah. And before we leave this, I just want a quick aside about Harry. There's these live Instagram things that a bunch of the Islanders do together. And uh, Harry showed up to one the other day. And a couple of the other Islanders, I think Tyler most notably, is like, wait, who's that? Who's who's Harry? So I've got a new pitch for a new reality show, ITV, starring Harry. It's called I'm Not a Celebrity. Get me out of here. So the premise is Harry would show up to parties full of models and TV presenters and influencers. And so he'd be let in, but no one would talk to him and no one would know who he is. Just like an endless stream of, I'm sorry, like who are you again? And people like mistaking him for a waiter or something. And then you've got Harry constantly breaking the fourth wall and making funny faces at the hidden camera. And he's like faces like, why me? Or, oh boy, not this again. And so each episode would have the same ending. Basically, security would come and escort him out because they think he's not supposed to be there. And he'd be swearing up and down that he's on the guest list. And they're like, "Okay, yeah, mate, whatever you say. Then they get to the door and Harry shows them that he actually is on the guest list. And of course, at this point, the security guards, you know, they feel terrible. They say he can come back in. But Harry just kind of like meekly says, no, it's okay. I should really get back home anyway. Roll credits. Wow. I'm in. I'm, I'm buying a steak. Okay, moving on. How about TNA? Can we talk about the TNA? Yeah. MVP first? Yes. So, TNA MVP. The nominees are Chloe, Teddy, and Priya. And the winner has to be Priya, man. Girl could dress. Those red giraffe pajamas, if I wasn't a thousand months pregnant and about 200 pounds overweight, I would be looking for those. Yeah. She was a very, very good dresser in a season with uh, with a couple. This season overall, though, does not even come close to season six. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, how about for the uh, LVP, the worst dressed Islander? There's only one real TNA LVP anyway, and we all know who it is. It's Brett. It's always Brett. Mr. Socks and Sandals. Mr. My Shirt's Too Short. Mr. I Can't Dress Myself So I Can Only Look Good on a Runway. Yeah, what a terrible dresser. So, I think we've got a few more awards. Let's talk about the comeback player of the year. Of course, the Islander who starts off either boring or bad and then becomes really great. The nominees are Kaz, Toby, and Liberty. And the winner is... Is there any other choice? There's no other choice. Gotta be Toby. Gotta be Toby. Yeah, this was actually a tough one between Comeback Player and this next award, the Chris Hughes Emotional Growth Award. Very similar nominees. Uh, Liberty, Chloe, Toby, and Faye. We decided to give this one to Faye, though. Yeah, the fact that she stays with Teddy, doesn't run, and really seems to be overcoming some pretty big, long-standing, deep-seated issues, it was kind of hard to give this to anybody else. The secret award here given is the person who's carrying their partner over the finish line award, which goes to Teddy, you know? So I think what we have got left are the award for the worst Islander ever. And we have one nominee for that one, and that is Danny. But the winner is Adam C. 
who was in season four. So not sure how that happened, but there you go, Adam you said C. Ever. You said ever. Yeah, it's true. You said ever. Adam C is the worst. Adam C fills me with rage to this day. Whereas Danny, I just have a cold contempt for. Adam C, I'm so angry right now. I'm shaking. So let's get to it. It's the moment you have all been waiting for. It is the little bit leave it. Islander of the Year for Love Island UK Season 7. This is a big one. The nominees are Toby, Liberty, Faye, Teddy, and Matt. Can we have a drum roll, please? And the winner is... Liberty. I think she deserves it. That revelation, what she goes through, we've never seen anything like that. You'll never know true love until you love yourself. Her romance with Kaz with an extra icing on top, turning down the possibility at 50K just to leave like two days before the final. I mean, just brilliant. Liberty Pool, we salute you. Yeah, she played it, man. I mean, I don't want to say played it like she was manipulating it. Like just she really uh, had an excellent, excellent arc. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I don't think that was all conscious and manufactured. I don't think Liberty would... That would be amazing if she was actually like the bigger faker than Jake. Like she knew Jake was faking the whole time and then she timed this just so it would, you know, make her into this hugely sympathetic character. I don't think she would do that, but I will note that she has gotten probably like twice the number of endorsements and sponsorship deals as any other Islander, I think. So because she's the best. It's because she's a little bit leave it Islander of the year. They all are responding to this award going her way. Well, I know. I mean, so it's true. We did issue the press release about who the Islander of the year was several weeks ago. And uh, even though it hasn't been publicly announced until now, it's very possible it could have had an influence. You're right. Okay. So that wraps up our final season seven episode. It has been super fun doing all this stuff. We are going to go on a new material hiatus for the most part. Yeah, well, we've got Friend Island still coming up. Oh, yeah. we got like four <laughs> or five episodes of Friend Island we're producing. You all are allowed to rest. You guys can rest. I, I grant you permission. I mean, we'll definitely come back at some point. We hope. Yeah. Yeah, but this has been super fun. We've done two seasons and we're, season three is one I feel like we kind of have to do. Yeah, or right? five. I think three. I, yeah. I would be like three or one would be the two that I would like to do. Well, we'll figure it out. First, I have to give a birth. So let's yes. do that first. All right. You can talk to us in the off season, Logan. Yeah, guys. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Twitter at LGNCTN. But uh, thanks, Ben. Thank you guys so much for having me on the pod. It has been one of the best things I've done this year. A real honor. A top 35 lifetime accomplishment. Absolutely. I love thinking about the show with you guys. I think you. there's a lot of dumb entertainment that happens and i'm not saying that love island isn't dumb entertainment but it's cool to also dig into it a bit more and think about like some more of the richness to it i think it really makes all the binging worth it yeah no thank you i mean uh, we love having you on and you definitely bring some unique insights and perspectives that we would not have gotten otherwise so thank you you can find me on the socials at lbli podcast on twitter and beck's very not enthused about her socials these days she's not really doing social media very much but you can always email the podcast at littlebitleaveitpodcast at gmail.com we would love to hear from you and hey if your email is super inspiring maybe you'll get snuck into like a little secret bonus episode that we'll do with emails that we receive 
You never know. You never know. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. There is a season eight coming. Oh, is there? Has that been confirmed? There was a casting call during the finale. Oh, yeah, that's right. From Staten Island. To Love Island. And I'll be trying out for season eight.